This morning, God's Word comes to us from Psalm 84. And as you turn to Psalm 84, I want to tell you uh, that since we are going to be physically worshiping together for at least the next couple of weeks, we're going to jump out of our series in the Gospel of John and into a series that I hope will be a little bit more useful to us, that will help us think about how to worship Jesus, live for Jesus, and serve our neighbors in Jesus' name in a time of pandemic. And for all of that, Psalm 84 is very helpful. Because as you'll hear in a moment, Psalm 84 longs for what I hope we're all longing for this morning, which is meeting the Lord Jesus in his house with his people. Like me, I hope you're all missing that this morning. And as we'll explore more in a moment, the reason why the psalmist longs for this is because scary and sad things are keeping God's people from being together the way that they want to be together. Like us, things that are beyond their control and that threaten death and that create fear are the reason why they can't meet together. The psalmist isn't on vacation. He's not just missing his church home because he's off, you know, playing around. God's people are seeking shelter. And from that shelter, they long for deliverance so that they can worship Jesus together in peace. But a shared context isn't the only thing that makes Psalm 84 valuable for us this morning. I think what makes it especially valuable is the confidence in Jesus that it inspires and the kind of life it calls us to while we wait for Jesus to fulfill our longing to be rejoined together in corporate worship. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's read Psalm 84, and then we'll get into it together. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Salah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. That's Father, reading of what can only be God's own word. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together in this uh, unique way and that you promised to be with us. And Lord, we need you to be with us now so that your word uh, can do its work in our lives by your Holy Spirit. Father, may the meditation of our hearts as those called to hear your word and the words of my mouth as your preacher as that one called to proclaim your word be now pleasing in your sight so that we might all grow in faith in Christ and learn to love him and trust him and serve him. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. So the psalmist begins uh, where I hope we all begin this morning, which is longing to be with God's people in worship. Only you get the sense that uh, unlike most of us, 
He's been separated from God's people and from corporate worship for a long time. Uh, verse 2 again, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Uh, in the Old Testament, soul very often just means life. And a common way to talk about starving to death or literally dying of thirst is to talk about the soul longing for food or fainting from thirst. My life is going to end because I don't have food to eat or water to drink. You should also know that the courts of the Lord is a reference to God's temple, which is what the psalmist is talking about in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And the temple was not only the place where you worshipped Jesus in the Old Testament. It's also where you worshipped Jesus with Jesus' people. And I say that because the emphasis here is on meeting with God's people in worship. If you will notice, his soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord, while at the same time, his heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. So he isn't saying that he can't worship God if he's not in the temple. He's not saying that Jesus can't bring him joy if he doesn't go to the temple. He's saying, as I hope we are all saying this morning, I am rejoicing in the Lord now. I am praying to Jesus now. But the psalmist is saying, and I'm starving for the blessings of corporate worship. He's saying, I miss church. I miss being with God's people. I miss singing with them. I miss praying with them. I miss confessing our sins together. I miss church. And that's why verse 4, those who dwell in the Lord's house together, singing his praises together, are blessed. Now, you don't reach this level of longing because you just missed a Sunday or two. This is what happens when you've been separated from God's people for a long time and not by choice. So back in the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918, which we've heard about, there are records of churches here in the United States that tell us that these congregations didn't meet for three months or more. And they didn't have webcasting to help them. Obviously, I pray that doesn't happen to us. But if you think about what our Christian brothers and sisters experienced back then, that's what you need to see the psalmist is experiencing here. I long for Jesus' house. I long for Jesus' people. I long to worship Jesus with them because it's been a long time since we've been together. Now, why does the psalmist miss being gathered with the people of the Lord Jesus in worship? And the answer is, he misses the experience of home and peace that Jesus gives his people when they're gathered in worship. So verse 3 and 4, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. So the Bible very often uses the sparrow as a picture of helplessness and frailty, right? Sparrows are food for hawks and dogs and cats and even people. They don't have claws or teeth and they're too small and weak to really do anything other than die when they're attacked. But in God's temple, sparrows are safe. But not just safe by being tucked into a corner somewhere. They're safe at God's altar. And here's what I think the image is. The priests were heavily regulated in when and how they could touch the altars around the temple. And if they violated those rules, they could lose their lives 
God said that he would take their lives for violating what was holy. So I think you get this picture of the psalmist reflecting on what he saw the last time maybe he was in the temple worshiping God with the people of God, looking at these sparrow nests that were tucked under the altars and no one could really remove them. And Jesus allowed them to live there. It's an amazing picture for the people of God, right? God's home isn't just for big and powerful people with kings and princes and priests. It's for weak and frail birds. So they could come and be safe and raise their young. The sparrow builds a nest and raises her young. Safety and home. That's the picture he's drawing with this beautiful image. And now notice the psalmist says, even the sparrow, meaning how much more of a home has God given me? How much more of a home do we have as God's people who have been adopted into his family and have had the privilege of God literally giving himself to as our Father and Savior? And in that light, then, why does this sense of home and security <clears throat> sort of given by the physical temple extend into the fellowship and the congregation that's gathered there? And the answer is that in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, God locates himself not primarily in a building, but primarily with its people in the congregation. It's within the congregation that Jesus primarily and especially makes himself known. And I think we know that powerfully, don't we? Well, it's true that we can worship God anywhere, and we can know his presence anywhere, and praise him for that. This morning is an ex amazing example of how Jesus is with us no matter where we are and as we are. We also know that the words God spoke to Adam are true too. It's not good for man to be alone. God designed us for communion with him in community. And one of the ways that Jesus gives us some of his deepest blessings of peace and safety is through the welcome and care and fellowship he gives us through his saints. The psalmist is fainting for those blessings of community, and he longs to have them forever as he's joined in praise with God's people. Let me just say this, my friends. Um, social distancing is not social isolation. So reach out to one another in the name of Jesus. Call one another, text one another, uh, FaceTime, Skype one another. Communion can exist in amazing ways because of the technological gifts God has allowed um, us to have. Use them to enjoy the presence of God among us, even as we are socially distanced from one another. Okay, so moving on. So why is the psalmist separated? Well, the answer to that is found in verse 5, and really at the beginning of verse 6. Verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of spring. So, when the psalmist talks as he does in verse 5 about being blessed by finding strength in Jesus, he always does it because he's in danger or there are enemies that need facing. Now, what I find very interesting is that there isn't a specific enemy mentioned here. I mean, it's true in verse 10, he talks about not wanting to dwell in the tents of the wicked, but as we'll talk about in a second, that seems to be referring to giving up faith in Jesus rather than about defecting to any specific end. The only thing we know is that whatever it is, 
it's creating a lot of tears. So in verse 6, we're told that the psalmist and God's people who need Jesus' strength to face their enemies are going to the valley of Bacah. And I really wish translators would put a footnote here. Bacah is a Hebrew word that just means weeping. They're going through the valley of weeping. And so many dangers can cause weeping. And I think that's Jesus' point here. It could be war. It could be natural disaster. It could be disease. It could be even a pandemic. Whatever it is, it brings weeping. It brings floods of tears. And it means that God's people cannot be together. This side of Jesus' return, there have always been times, and there will always be times, when God's people cannot be together because of danger. In this side of Jesus' return, those danger, dangers are often full of tears. We walk through the valley of weeping. And why Psalm 84 is so useful to us is not only does it express our longing and help us face the reality of this valley of weeping, it also assures us so that Jesus is walking with us as we go through this valley. So notice God's people are weeping, they're separated, but as you read over and over again in this psalm, it just has this high note of blessing in this. Why? Well, because as verse 5 tells us, God is their strength. Now that has a lot of aspects in the Bible. God being our strength can mean that God literally gives us strength when we literally need to be able to walk the extra step and do the extra thing. It can mean that God strengthens us by upholding our righteousness in the face of temptation, and it definitely means those things here. But there's another element that the psalmist focuses on in verse 6 of being strengthened by God. So verse 6, as they go through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So two things to notice here. First, notice that the psalmist focuses on God's strength, being his presence with his people in this valley of weeping, as they go through the valley of Bacah. And what does God's presence, God's strength, do for them in that valley? Well, he transforms their weeping into joy. So because farmers needed rain and springs of water and pools to irrigate their crops, and because crops were essential to both staying alive, having enough food to eat, and economic health, having things to sell so you could have you know, clothing and goods, springs, early rain, and pools of water, all the things that you need for having good farming, are often used in the Bible as images of lasting joy, of prosperity. So in that light, notice that the psalmist talks about how God's strength changes their situation. It changes it from a valley of weeping to a place of sustained joy. God's strength is his ability to move us through times of sorrow and sadness and fear to joy and safety and home. Now that doesn't happen right away usually. Sometimes we have this expectation that, you know, God tells us he's going to get us through something and that means five minutes or uh, the next day, right? It's like an Amazon Prime order. Come on, I just click the button. 
He shouldn't be here right now, right? Now, Jesus, he could do that. But he usually doesn't do that. And while the psalmist doesn't focus on why that is in this psalm, we know from the rest of the Bible that God uses the valley of weeping in transformative ways. The Lord brings us through these kinds of things to change us, to deepen our faith, to kill our idols, to teach us mercy and kindness and empathy, to build generosity and service, even at sacrifice, into our lives, to provide an access point for us to bring the gospel to those who are going through the same kinds of things, and also to help us testify to the world that our final home is not in this creation, but is in the new creation that Jesus will bring in his return. So even though Jesus doesn't usually deliver us in 24 hours, he does deliver us. And what's most important, as he's delivering us, as he's bringing us to our final salvation, he goes with us in real and actually helpful ways. That's verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So when you're traveling from one place to another, when you're walking through a valley, what do you want most? Light and security. That's the psalmist's point. The Lord is our sun and our shield. He shows us the path, and he protects us on that path. We do not walk in darkness. We do not walk without his protection. Now, given the fact that the psalmist is going through the valley of weeping because of real dangers, he obviously cannot mean that the Lord being a sun and a shield keeps us from dangerous things, right? So what does he mean? Well, he means the Lord blesses us with the ability to walk faithfully with him, to endure to the end, to endure to the end with him in faith and in love. Walking uprightly means walking according to God's covenant. God not withholding good things from those who walk uprightly means that he gives us what we need to follow him all the days of our lives. And I think you can see that pretty clearly in verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So after talking about looking forward to walking through the valley of weeping with Jesus and worshiping with God's people again, why would the psalmist suddenly compare spending time in God's house with living in the tents of the wicked? Well, isn't it because in times of crisis and fear, being faithful to God, loving Him, worshiping Him, loving our neighbor, it's hard? In a time of pandemic, war, or hunger, or even loneliness, right? There's always a temptation to bail on Jesus and try something else. And not only because there can be a feeling that Jesus has let you down, which I don't think the psalmist has in this psalm, but what I do think the psalmist recognizes and what I think the psalmist is reflecting on is the fact that Jesus calls us to do hard things even when we're afraid. So during another pandemic, this one in Rome, somewhere around 250 to 270 A.D., Probably a smallpox or measles outbreak, no one's really sure. But at its height, 5,000 people a day were dying just in Rome alone. 
And uh, what was the church's response? Well, the church actually made a name for itself and, and glorified Jesus' name uh, by doing the really hard thing of caring for the dying, even while they themselves were dying. But not all Christians did that. Some of them, thankfully not many, abandoned Jesus because they didn't want to share what extra food and money and clothing and medicine they had. So for them, while they walked through the valley of weeping and out of fear, they decided that faithfulness to Jesus and sacrifice for Jesus wasn't worth it. For them, a day in Jesus' courts was not better than one more day locked in their house with their families surrounded by food and money. Uh, and that, by the way, is not an argument against self-quarantine or social distancing. Um, our staying apart is aimed at sparing life and limiting suffering. This is a sacrifice we are making out of love. Theirs is a sacrifice that was made out of selfishness and fear. They're not the same thing. But I think the point is clear. Now, in God's mercy, we are not there. We are not where our brothers and sisters were in Rome. But the reality is that in times of disease and fear, there is a real temptation to abandon Jesus in order to, I don't know, exploit people's fears and make a grotesque profit off the vulnerable. Like hand sanitizer, anybody? I think we get that temptation. So do the psalmist. And so does Jesus. What the psalmist is reminding us, though, is that Jesus doesn't walk with the wicked or live with the wicked. He walks with his people. Jesus' strength that transforms weeping into joy is given to those who walk with him. And Jesus lights our path and gives us everything we need so that we can walk with him, even when we're afraid and sad. And as the church in Rome learned, even when we're sick and dying. And the reason Jesus does that, and the reason why the psalmist can rejoice in that, is because his longing to be with Jesus' people will be fulfilled. It's a will. Just look back at verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So Zion is the name God most often uses for his heavenly home. So what is the ultimate way that God transforms our journey with him? Well, he brings us to himself, where all his saints are ultimately gathered, like you and me. Uh, the psalmist longs to be with God and his people. He longs to be delivered from fear and sadness to security and joy. He longs to be in fellowship again. And here, he clings to God's promise that each one of his people We'll get that in Zion with him. And we get that, don't we, my friends? Because God comes and walks with us to make sure that all of his people get there. Just think about Jesus' words from John 6, verses 38 through 39, which we talked about last Sunday. I'm going to read them again. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For I have not come down from heaven, excuse me, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Beloved, Jesus came down from heaven to earth to walk with us. 
in his valley of tears. So he could assure us that our eternal fellowship and home with God and with each other is secure forever. But not only that, Zion is also the name for the city of Jerusalem where God's people live and worship together on this side of the glory. And I think the psalmist has both meanings in mind. Seasons of weeping are always just seasons. They do end. Physical communion will resume. You see, our hope is not uh, only found in heaven. It's also found here, too, because God does not only live with us in heaven in the future, he lives with us now in the present. I think that's the psalmist's point. Because Jesus walks with us, no matter what happens, we will be reunited in worship with God's people. Because you cannot take from God what he has joined to himself. So as we are separated for a time, and as we go through this time of fear and uncertainty, know that Jesus is with us in this valley. He comes to us. He is walking with us. And he will bring us to himself. So let us be faithful to him and serve him with courage. Because each one of us, his people, will appear before him again in Zion. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who walks with us, who cares for us, and who assures us that we will make it home with you in Zion, even as we look forward to be reunited with you in this life, in this side of glory. Father, we help us to trust in your promise that this is so. Help us to live for you and help us to rest in you and to pour out our longings to you in confidence that where you are, 